0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby, Out of My Mind. This is podcast number 003, where we hope to have a biblical conversation about the crazy things going on in our world. We believe that the Bible has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our existence, so we look to the Bible to make sense of that existence. God's Word enables us to see things as they are, not just simply as what they appear to be. The Word of God says that your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, and we believe that's true. So over the next 20 minutes, join us as we provide you a bird's eye view of some complex cultural issue that is facing you or the church or the world around us as we apply God's Word to make sense of it all. At the end of the podcast, we'll point you to some additional resources in case you'd like to dig deeper. In the meantime, let's get into the podcast. Today's topic actually wasn't the topic that we planned. We had planned to talk about deconstructing, deconversion, which is what happens when people claim to walk away from the faith. But today, instead, what we want to do is look at politics in the pulpit. I'm joined today in the studio by Mark Stickler, Mark, as I said last time, has been in student ministries here at Hillside Church in one capacity or another for over 12 years, and he serves now as one of our student ministries pastor. And Mark, I just want to thank you for joining us today. I know you wanted to get at me with some questions because these last two podcasts have sparked some uh, interesting feedback, I'll put it that way.
1: Yeah, um, really just an interesting... uh first two uh, we saw a lot of looking at our world from a cultural perspective and all the things that are going on politically and culturally um, and just how those come to terms with religion or or, kind of like really they it's all three of those things wrapped into one Um, and so I know that politics is an uh, an area we try to avoid in the church sometimes. And it seems in these last two podcasts, um, we're not really steering clear of politics on this. Um, is this something you feel that the church should do? Can they mix religion and politics? Um, and is that something they should be doing?
0: Well, that's a great question. Uh, I guess the question too would be, what does the Bible have to say about all this? And I just would point us to a passage. It's a passage that you see a lot in the uh, social justice uh, world that is taken out of context and used to drive the conversation on intersectionality and social justice and things like that. And that is Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require but to love justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Often we miss the boat on what justice is, and justice is doing God's uh, will, God's way. Kindness is how we administer that justice, and humility is how we address the needs around us. People use this passage as an excuse uh, to get involved in all sorts of activities, but they also miss the core business of the preacher or the prophet. I mean, who was Micah? Who were the prophets? Well, Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah, Amos, and Hosea. He served or ministered during the reigns of King Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah of Judah, and he spoke to the people of Jerusalem about the goings-on in their day. The prophets in general in Israel confronted the politics of their day, the relationships of Israel to other countries and other societies, the moral decay of Israel, uh, some of the practices, You saw Elijah, for example, confront Ahab and Jezebel in in the the country of Israel during the divided kingdom, and you saw John the Baptist in the New Testament confront Herod on his morality. The problem is is that while they say all politics are local, all politics are also moral. And Think of the word politics. It comes from the Greek word polis from which we also get the word polity, which has to talk about government, or policy, what governments and societies do. The polis was the basic form, the basic collective form of a society that was the community. And communities uh, gather together and govern themselves, polity, and they make policy. And policy is either moral or immoral when you think about it. And, and that's the challenge today is we've created a bunch of false dichotomies and sort of tried to limit uh, religious speech. We've tried to say that there are certain things you can't say in the pulpit. And people talk about, you know, uh, while well, you're, you're stepping into politics, well, you can't help it. Think about abortion. It's a political issue. It's a moral issue. It's a biblical issue god hates abortion he hates the murdering of children born or unborn i'm reminded that in the uh, old testament the only god that is referred to as that abomination is the abomination Molech to which the people of israel sacrificed their children so you can't avoid it lgbtq issues uh, romans one eighteen 18 to 32 talks about behaviors where people abandon the natural desires of, of the, that they were built for and pursue same sex relationships. And yet that's being taught in our schools and our universities and to speak about it puts you in the political realm. So I think it's completely legitimate to, uh, address political issues from the pulpit.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I I would definitely agree with you um, in there. I think politics does definitely run like on a collision course into uh, religion and all of those things that go on there. It kind of brings me to my next question. You know, we're in an election year and everything is political. I feel like even more so this year than it has been in years past. So you would, you would say that we shouldn't avoid necessarily those conversations about maybe who the next president should be um, or how do you think we, we attack that as a, as a church, as a Christian in society?
0: That's a great question, Mark. We live in an era that is personality driven, but the reality is presidents really don't do a whole lot. A president serves for four years, maybe eight, if things go his way. And we often confuse the issue of morality with personality. Candidates, basically personify a party for us. But the question is really not who the candidate is, but what do we know about the political party backing them? What do they believe about moral and societal issues? You have the politics of race, you have the politics of abortion, you have the politics of LGBTQ. uh, And those are all addressed by competing ideas and competing political parties. And so i really don't address candidates so much as the morality of it all one party favors gay marriage one party the same party favors abortion the same party is uh preoccupied with intersectional uh philosophy and critical theory and i it's easy for me to look at this and say what does the Bible say about everything that a particular party stands for or stands against? It gets back to the whole idea of policy and politics coming from the polity, the community of uh, the government and the, and the, the polis, the community. Uh, it's not the candidates. It's what they represent. And you can't say it's. It's there's just moral equivalence or truth is relative or something like that. And they're both pretty much the same. No, they're not necessarily pretty much the same. There is no way I could support the slaughter, the, the, the uh, medieval slaughter of unborn children. Uh, I can't do that. Jesus uh, taught about traditional marriage in Matthew 19, four through six. And then he says to the people of his day, have you not read? that he who created the beginning, in, the, in the beginning made them male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he goes on to say, therefore, God is joined together. Let nobody separate. And the idea there, too, in that word, separate, is tamper with. And so morality cannot help but intersect with politics because politics is the propagation and uh, distribution of, uh, ideation of policy, which, and policy is either moral or immoral. So you just can't get away from it. You just can't.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting how you have, uh, you know, you say we don't endorse a particular candidate, but we talk about these policies. So today you see this this big push between capitalism and socialism. Is there a political philosophy like socialism or capitalism that? The church should be pursuing, or do we just stay out of that?
0: That is a really complicated one. Uh, thank you for just you know throwing me all these nice curveballs. But seriously, Mark, uh, well, it's like this. Let's just go back to the Ten Commandments, right? So socialism, you know, which basically is a Marxist, is a is, a, is Marxism light. Uh, Marxism does not believe in private property, right? And yet in the Ten Commandments, it says you shall not steal. You shall not steal what? Something that belongs to somebody else. A critical theory looks at oppressors and the oppressed. Those who have privilege or power are fundamentally evil. And those who don't are fundamentally righteous. And they have a higher moral authority. And they should take what they've been denied. And and that's part of the socialist Marxist uh, dogma, isn't it? But the last of the commandments warns us not to covet. Not to envy people for what they have, and we're certainly not to steal it. And so, any ideology which is ultimately a, a secular theology that contradicts God's word should be viewed with uh, some. Uh, they should be. It should be suspect. Even you know the parable of the laborers that Jesus told. People often talk about that, but they overlook something. Uh, the, the, uh, the guy who hires the laborer, which represents God, and the laborers are those who come to Christ and serve the kingdom. Some come early, some come later. And when they start bickering about the wages, he says, is it not my right? Am I not the employer? Is it not my right to set the wages? Did you not agree to do this? We've tried to uh, create this whole system of, uh, in a fallen, broken world of equality of outcomes, which are virtually impossible. Because because we know from 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 that God gives spiritual gifts, and he gives some uh, greater, more obvious gifts than he gives others. And he does it according to his will, and he distributes those gift, gifts as he wills, which I think that's in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. And so not everybody's going to have the same level of talent, the same level of ability, and not everybody got their talents or abilities uh, dishonestly and to create a system which tries to uh, impose artificially some form of uh, uh, perceived equality or equality of outcomes is not only illogical, but it flies in the face of Scripture. It ignores the fact that there is a God who created all things, and even though we broke it and the world has fallen and unjust, that he works all things according to his good. And what even, even what men intend for evil, God intends for good, to bring about his desired result. And this system, this atheistic-based system, ignores God, ignores his sovereign rule over the universe, and seeks to play God in his place. And so there is a difference. Uh, capitalism basically says if you do something really, really well and excellently, people will want to be your customer. We've created other forms of it, we've perverted it. I don't think God is so much concerned with capitalism or socialism per se as justice or injustice, and uh, and I think sometimes we uh we lose sight of that,
1: yeah. And I think continuing on this topic of justice and injustice, uh, do you think that the church with capital C, the, the church at large? um should be more concerned with social justice issues or issues of justice or do you think that um, they've gone too far getting involved in that stuff well
0: justice is defined by social justice is different than the justice of the bible and again we we create artificial terms you know that that aren't necessarily biblical uh Social justice is concerned with outcomes and the equality of outcomes. And, and it's rooted, even though uh, critical theory and intersectionality weren't always called these things, it's rooted in the idea that you have to uh, play God and you have to assure some quality of outcomes. We, we want to help the poor. Anybody who doesn't want to help the poor doesn't have a heart. Uh, you you want to have compassion for your fellow man. You want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you want to love your neighbor as yourself, but you do not rob Peter to pay Paul. And anything you do that goes outside the uh, prescriptions of Scripture, uh, depriving somebody of something else to give to someone else, is unbiblical and it's ungodly. You know, John the Baptist, when he talked about if you have two tunics, give it. Give one of them to somebody who, who lacks, but that's not being imposed by the society. That is a conscience that is filled with the spirit and informed by the word of God, looking at his neighbor and not just saying, be warm and be filled, but doing something from his own resources and with his own abilities to benefit his neighbor. It's not coercing others to do what you think is right. Social justice doesn't look at right or wrong. Whereas God's justice does, social justice says, well, if this person broke this law, did he do it because of his uh, circumstances, because of his upbringing? Did he do it because uh, he he or she was deprived of some uh, advantage? And therefore, if they were an oppressed group, they might have more moral authority to do that and less moral responsibility. God's justice says, is this sin? Yes or no. And as we know, the wages of sin is death. Is there mercy? There is for the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. God's justice is very different from what we understand today as social justice. And people can proof text Old Testament passages all they want to, but you have to take them within their context, within the whole council of Scripture. And so the social justice, real justice thing, are two different animals. They are like a tadpole and a guppy. They both look like fish, but one's an amphibian and one is a fish. Uh, they have different DNAs and they are, the sources are one is earthly, natural and demonic, social justice, and the other is uh, from above, uh, from the father of lights. At the same time, it's good to want to do justice. It's good to want to help your neighbor. It's good to grieve over the loss or the uh, poverty of someone else and to take concrete steps to help them. That's all good. It's how you go about it. Methods matter.
1: Mm, Yeah, that's really good. Um, Kind of switching gears back into the political parties, Um, there's this view that the Republican Party is the party of the Christians or the evangelical Christians, how would you respond to some of the evangelical leaders even that suggest that uh, Christians have sold their souls to the Republican Party?
0: Here's the problem. There's only one party, and that's God's party. And we want to be very careful about supporting blindly either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. They are not the same, but they are not to be confused with the party of God. The party of God is the party that wants to do righteousness according to the word of God. Each of these parties has its strengths and weaknesses. They used not to be that far apart. Now they are very far apart on moral matters. I don't look to the Republican Party to solve my problems for me. I don't live under the uh, delusion that everybody in the Republican Party is a Christian any more than I live under the delusion that everybody in the the Democrat Party is not a Christian. I have Christian friends who are Democrats. They have it increasingly more difficult because they are pro-life and they are pro, as they would call it today, traditional marriage, and they're being ostracized and I know that people in the Republican Party that are just all about power, and I know that there are Christians in the Republican Party. What I look at is their platform. Uh, I look at uh, uh, Kamala Harris, for example. She believes in freedom of worship, but she doesn't believe in freedom of expression, and she believes that you should be able to worship whoever you want to, wherever you want to, and what you worship and how you worship in your church is your business. But she doesn't want you taking it into the public square, whereas the Constitution of the United States, which was founded uh, on godly principles, our country was, says that everyone has the right to express their beliefs publicly in the public square. And so I know that whatever agenda Kamala Harris is going to put forth is going to limit my ability to worship. I'm not endorsing her, and I'm not not endorsing her. I'm just saying that those beliefs, beliefs translate into action. And and she believes in unfettered abortion. She believes in LGBTQ rights. Uh, You know what? Everybody has the same rights under the Constitution. And I don't believe that somebody can limit my right to express my views as a born-again Christian. And so I don't look at either party as my friend, I do look to see which one is going to do the least amount of damage and which one is least likely to persecute people of faith who vocalize their beliefs. And I think when you look at it that way, the choice becomes
1: clear. Yeah. I mean, we've said a lot around here, don't don't let your politics inform your religion, but let your religion inform your politics.
0: Well said, the enemy of my enemy is not necessarily my friend. Yeah. Yeah you know here's i just want to pick up on that there are some people who think being an american and being a christian are the same thing or they confuse patriotism for christianity i'm an american i'm a patriot but above all i'm a christian and i don't conflate i don't cavalierly conflate those two i don't confuse politics and religion and and too many christians do I don't confuse my citizenship with the U.S. with my citizenship in heaven. And so my faith in Christ, my understanding of God's word should inform the choices I make at the poll, at the ballot box. It doesn't mean that one party is the party of God and one party isn't. And that's where we have to be really careful.
1: Yeah, that's really good. Uh, So final question here as we're uh, getting to the end. Um, And you talked about it a little bit in talking about the Constitution, I think something that I always was taught in school is this idea of separation of church and state, and it's in the Constitution. But then you read it, and it's the First Amendment is talking about the freedom of expression and stuff. And so where does the separation of church and state come into play?
0: Well, those that know me know I'm sort of an amateur historian. Uh, I've read widely on U.S. history, world history, ancient history. But part of that comes with uh, just growing up in a different era than many of the students are in today. The Constitution, the founding documents of, of, the, of the American experiment, the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, which no longer apply, and the U.S. Constitution, which still does nowhere, Is there a mention of the separation of church and state? That came into play as a result of the attempt to remove prayer from the schools. Uh, And I don't necessarily believe that the schools need to be, you need to be saying prayer in the schools. Whose prayer are you going to say? You're going to say an Islamic prayer, a Buddhist prayer, a Hindu prayer, a Christian prayer. But when the Supreme Court uh, struck that down, they reached beyond the founding documents to a personal letter from Thomas Jefferson to some Baptists in New England. At the time, uh, the U.S. government was uh, funding the planting of churches in Kentucky because Kentucky was lawless. And the theory went that if we put a, couple, a, a, a number of churches there, that maybe the morality would calm the state down. Maybe it wouldn't. And the people in New England, some of the uh, New England Baptists, thought that Thomas Jefferson was creating a state religion. And he responded to them in a personal letter, no, I'm not creating a state religion. Uh, there needs to be a separation between the church and the state, and that wall of separation is porous. The state cannot interfere in religion, but religion, on the other hand, can can affect the operation of the state through the morality and beliefs and principles That religion holds. Religion in those days was viewed as something positive, unlike today. So, the myth of the separation of church and state as it's taught in schools today, particularly public schools, is that somehow religion and politics must be separate. Nothing can be further from the truth. This gets back to the whole thing about aren't you worried about losing your tax exempt status? No, I'm not. If you read the tax code, as long as a pastor during a political campaign doesn't Endorse a candidate from the pulpit. He's okay, We're, you know. I mean, it's it's you could you know it. What we've done is we take a concept and we just broaden it out and flatten it out and make it so simple sounding. But we are free to address matters of morality and matters of policy from the pulpit. Uh, there's no prohibition against that. If there were, think of all the church. I think of, you know, you know Bill Clinton spoke, President Bill Clinton spoke in African-American churches. Uh, the recent funeral of John Lewis and Barack Obama gave an obviously partisan uh, speech there. Uh, churches have been used for that for years. One side tends to do it more than the other. But the bottom line is, is that the freedom of religion, the freedom of expression, uh is not limited or excluded has not excluded addressing matters of politics from the pulpit that is an urban legend whose time has come and gone. Well, I see you motioning to me there, mark, so you know what we're out of time, and so why don't we end here? I want to thank everybody for joining us today. If you'd like further resources on this topic, be sure to go to our Uh, Go to gracetoliveradio.org. That's the website. Click the podcast resource button there. There'll be a number of uh, resources there on this topic. We're so grateful that you joined us today. If you're listening through either uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or something like that, be sure and give us a five-star rating. Like us. It helps us to move up sort of in their rating system and makes these podcasts available to more people. Share us on Facebook. Like us. Share us with your friends. We're trying to make an impact for the kingdom, and you can play a role in that. Help us expand our listening audience. And if you'd like to support this fledgling podcast, go to our Patreon page, and you can subscribe there as well. We'd appreciate any support that you give us. Uh, We have a nice t-shirt for those who pledge at least uh, $5 a month, if you'd like to do that. In the meantime, this is Keith Crosby and Mark Stickler wishing you a great day. God bless you and keep you. And thank you for tuning in to this Out of My Mind podcast. God bless you and have a great day.